start, so that's what I'm going to do, and since I've got to quit on time, I'm going to start on time. Um, sing that chorus with me that we sang yesterday, please. Ble um, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, O oh my soul, We'll worship His holy name. Our Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day, for the privilege of being here at camp, being, having time aside with you and with the people of God. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you for every one of your servants, for your words that's been preached and sung. And now, Lord, as we look into, these, into this book of Ephesians today, this wonderful book that's been given to us as part of your word, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we might understand, that we might bow in humble worship before you as we're overawed by the truth of the gospel, that we might grow in you and walk in obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, what's the, what's the theme of our Bible study? I'm not using the, the print computer today. I decided to go computerless. Um, if the preachers can do it, I can too. No. <laughs> so what's the theme of the study? What's the, what do we say Ephesians is about? The many splendored wisdom of God in his grand design for the redemption of the world. It's a really big book, a really big subject. The many splendored wisdom of God. And as we said yesterday, Paul, be well, Paul begins by, of course, the address. This is from a designated apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God. He speaks with divine and with, Je with Jesus' authority. It's to those who are, who are, who are, who are uh, holy and faithful in Christ Jesus that is, those who have been set apart from God, whom he is, who are reflecting his character and who are growing in their reflection of his character, in whose lives he's at work. So it's for us. And it's for those who want to be his people. Um, and Paul, then we said, began with a, a grand thanksgiving in, in verses uh, 1 to 14, what we looked at yesterday. The introduction to the book Really, we could say the whole first chapter is the introduction. First is this grand thanksgiving, and then the rest of the chapter is Paul's prayer for spiritual enlightenment. But there's this grand, he begins with a great thanksgiving to God, a praise to God for this, for all the privileges that are ours in Christ Jesus. Now, he hasn't, he hasn't explained God's many splendored wisdom, his great design, yet he's assuming it and hints of it come out here, but he begins by talking about the privileges that are ours in Christ. Blessed be the God of the Old Testament, yes, but who is now the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because all of these blessings are ours in Christ. It is the, the mystery that's going to be revealed is actually the fact that everything in the Old Testament all of God's reaching out to bring a people into fellowship with himself and which, with, with whom he would dwell finds its culmination in Christ and in Christ alone. And what God is doing in Christ boggles our minds because he's going to bring together, bring to one, to reconcile, to sum up, to bring into, uh, into one glorious unity all things in heaven and in earth. And what does that mean? What does that include? Well, it includes just what it said, all things in heaven and in earth. And, you know, I can't enumerate them all because I don't know them all. Um, and Ephesians is often like that. It pushes the boundaries of, of what, what we can say. That will be fulfilled in Christ. And we saw the, the, the grand uh, spiritual blessings. Actually, I have to apologize to you. I don't know how, but the last two points got left off of yesterday's outline. You have three, but they're supposed to be five. Um, fortunately, where we had to stop was at the end of three yesterday, so I could do a little recovery um, between, between the days. But we begin with the grand declaration of praise, which I just said, and then 
uh, uh, and, and then we begin the, the summer, uh, a summary, uh, that summary statement of praise, which was point two, which was for that God, just as God has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and, and without blame before Him in love. That summarizes it. God's chosen us. This is not a Johnny-come-lately thing. It's not God responding to some terrible situation. God is not in the, bi- the business of crises management. He knows what's going on. And he's had everything in control. And from the beginning, this grand plan was his. And that we should be holy. We should belong to him. That's where holiness begins. Living in fellowship with him and then reflecting his character. And without blame before him. He's making us that way, friends. That's not what we do for ourselves. He is making us that way. All of this in love, in his love, and love is to love as we will see as we get to the end, last chapters of Ephesians, characterizes then our fellowship together as the people of God. Then we had that more specific statement of the blessings, which I entitled point two was redemption in his blood. We are we are redeemed. We have been brought back. We have by the precious blood of Christ, which is of infinite value, we have been redeemed from the things that bind us to be made the glorious people of God. We, are, we have had the removal of our, trans, uh, of our transgressions. Um, uh, and then, you know, Paul, according, Paul can't stop praising God here. You know, for the, for the, um, uh, for the praise of the glory of His grace, and those kind of things over and over. Now, there's one thing I left out yesterday that I want to make sure and get in here before I pick up where I left off, and that is this phrase, according to the good pleasure of His will. And we have that phrase several places in it. This is all according to the good pleasure of His will. I want to get back to it because it's a marvelous phrase. Because what it means is, why did God do this? Just because He wanted to. (laughs) You could actually say it better than that. Why did He do this? It's just because that's because who he is. This is him. You see, it's not just, it's not just that God has done all these things. It's the kind of God that we have. The grand God of the universe who's been reaching out to bring people into fellowship with himself as a new people of God since, since the fall in the garden, since the promise to Abraham. This is the kind of God he is just because of who he is just because he wanted to, just because of who he is. He has, he has planned this, this glorious, this many-splendored wisdom of God, this great plan for our redemption that's summed up in Christ. Now, the fourth point was supposed to be an inheritance, and it's verses 11 and 12, because Paul goes on to say, in whom, in Christ, in whom we have received an inheritance according to the purpose of God according to the purpose of the one who works all things according to the counsel of his own will, in order that we might be to the praise of the glory of his grace who first trusted in Christ. Now here, the we, lots of times in Scripture you have to ask if it's a we inclusive or a we exclusive. What do I mean? A we inclusive is when the writer includes the recipients in the we. Up until now, it's been a we inclusive. We have received this inheritance. We, you, Paul, me, the people who are with me, and you believers. Now, Paul shifts a little bit here. It's a we exclusive. This is we who first trusted in Christ. Perhaps the Jew, as we're going to see later on, the the nations included with the people of Israel. Perhaps Paul is thinking here mainly of, of of the early Jewish believers, of which he was one. We who first trusted in Christ, separate from you, we have received an inheritance. Now, inheritance is deep biblical language, a deep biblical truth and reality. It's embedded from the beginning of Scripture. Even though the word is not used in one sense, the Garden of Eden was the inheritance at the beginning. But when that is lost, when the nations are scattered in sin and God comes to Abraham with the promise of salvation, the promise that's the engine that drives Scripture, you realize everything that happens is in fulfillment of God's promise to, to Abraham to bless the nations through him. But God promises him an inheritance to start with a land, a promised land. But it's not just the land. It's God will be present with them in the land. And it is their 
their share in the land embodied their share as the people of God. It was a physical, but a very, from, I mean, they probably wouldn't have separated physical and spiritual, but from our point of view, we have to say it, it's encompassed, the, the, the land itself embodied their share in the people of God and the fellow, fellowship with the living God. That was the inheritance. That was, that was their heritage and their inheritance, which was a foreshadowing and a type of what God has done for us in Christ. We have an eternal heavenly homeland. There is a new heaven and a new earth to come. It's not just heaven up there now. That is going to become a reality. And the, the inheritance that we have embodies all of the blessings that Paul has talked about and been thanking God for, you know, being holy and blameless and him in love, being redeemed. Oh, I forgot, of course, being uh, in Christ, we have been, we, we, we have been made sons, children of God, which includes, of course, it's only natural that the that, children become heirs. That's, 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 part of the, that's part of the deal. When you become a son of God, a daughter of God, when you become the children of God, that implies, that implies inheritance. All of that, but the inheritance also is yet to come. Paul's going to talk about that in a few verses. No. But we have received an inheritance. That even just those words, even before we look into what it is, and the, and the truth is, we don't know everything it is. It's better than what we could imagine. But, there, but we have received a, an inheritance, a share in the things of God. Don't misunderstand. Now, this, in, uh, this inheritance is not something separate from salvation. It is salvation. It includes salvation and all that that word means in its greatest sense. This is our heritage or our inheritance. Paul says, we receive this, we first believers, this is in verses 11 and 12, um, for the praise of the glory of His grace. You know, not only is everything out of God's simple goodness because of who He is, but it redounds to His praise and to His glory. And we, we have received it to the praise of the glory of His grace, and you can see us. We are a witness to you. You know, you can see God in us and what, and what He's done for us. But then... The final fifth point is our inclusion, and that's verses 13 and 14. And this is, Paul doesn't for a minute want, to think, want them to think they are left out of the inheritance. They are not left out of the inheritance. There's in whom also, he says, you. First, there's two things here. I'm not sure how it's actually translated on your page there, but literally, you, having heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And in him, you having believed. Let's take those. Having heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. It's so important to hear the word of truth. The word of truth is the word that brings salvation. But these two descriptions of it here are also very, uh, very rich. It is a word of truth in numerous ways. First of all, it is true. What God has done for us in Christ is true. It is real. It is, he has accomplished, the, he, what he has accomplished in Christ is real and is true. It's no fable. It's no story. It's no myth. It is absolutely true. But also, it is the word of truth in that it calls us to the truth. It exposes our self-deception. We are really good at self-deception, all of us. We are really good at it. We, we, our self-deceptions are usually to protect our own ego. It's kind, of, it's kind of a way we get along in the world. You know, our own rationalizations that why we're not so bad or why we can do this and it's okay or why we can live this way and it's okay, all of those kinds of things are are so much a part of, of, our, of our human condition. That's why the gospel begins with repentance. It calls us to acknowledge who we are. C.S. Lewis in one place says that we are like a woman preparing to go to a grand ball. And we are, um, she's in a bathroom, in a, in a room with dim lights, trying to put her makeup on so it will look good when the bright lights are on. 
And friends, when the Lord returns, the bright lights will be on. And there will be no question then. Every self-deception will be moved away, and you will have no way to argue to your Lord that he didn't quite get it right. No. It's the gospel of truth. It exposes and calls us to repentance, calls us. But you know what? You know why we can repent? Because God loves us, because it is also the gospel of our salvation. We can repent and turn from our deception because God will forgive, because God will cleanse, because God will change. God will make us whole. Without that, how could we give up our self-defenses? But because it is, the, it is the gospel of our salvation, it is the good news of Christ through which we have deliverance, we can embrace it as the truth. So it's important to hear the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, in whom also you believed. We use the word believe in so many different ways. We say, well, I believe that's so. Yeah. Or, okay, I believe what you said is true. Those are both fairly weak words. Or, you know, I believe the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning. Yeah, that's pretty. But, but to, to believe can also hear this is to believe in, to be committed to, to stake my life upon, to be, to, it, it, is, it is a full response of the whole person in commitment to Jesus Christ. How do you do that? You just do it. When you hear the Word of God and He calls you, and you, gra- you respond, you grasp Him. You say yes. You grasp Him. In whom, then, having heard the Word of truth of God, in whom also you believed, and what was the result of that? Now, everything so far, all of these grand blessings have been what God has done, and He's done them all in, in Christ. But now, we come to the third member of the Trinity, in whom also you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. See, the Holy Spirit, He's not separate from Christ. You can never separate Him, the work of the two. We always get in trouble if we do. But He takes the work of Christ and makes it real in my life. In whom the Holy Spirit has taken these blessings and He's sealed you. He's put the mark of God upon you. You are marked. You are God's. You belong to Him. That, of course, will show in the way you live. Um, Um, because God has put his stamp upon you. But the Holy Spirit takes and applies that to our lives. He is the the seal of of our inheritance. And he is is the, um, the guarantee or the foretaste of our inheritance. What does that mean? Well, you know, you've probably heard the example here. You know, somebody had a shipment of wheat, and they sent a little bit ahead of time that was a sample of what was going to come and, and, and a guarantee that the shipment would be made. Well, the Holy Spirit is um, both a foretaste of what God has for us in eternity because He is the presence of God in our lives. And the, the new heaven and the new earth will be marked before everything else by God's presence in its center. And so He is the foretaste. The joy you have in the Holy Spirit now, that's, that's, that's just a little taste of what God has in store for us as a people of God. If you were to experience all God has in store for us now, you, you just couldn't take it. None of us could. I couldn't either. I, we couldn't take it because we are not yet ready. We're not yet there. But it's, it's the full, and the guarantee, because the Holy Spirit is at work in your life and you have that now, you know what God has for you in the future. So he, this is why... Always the scriptures, when the scripture speaks of, a, we, of uh, 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 by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I forgot that in there. Uh, um, I better go look at the scripture, hadn't I? Um, who is the, uh, the, um, for, uh, the guarantee of our inheritance until the... Uh, the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We are God's purchased possession. He's redeemed us with the blood of Christ. And this foretaste is not only entail, but it's for the purpose of. Um, our final, we have been redeemed, but our final redemption at the return of the Lord, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit, reason why the Bible, the New Testament speaks so, so about grieving the Holy Spirit 
is not that the Holy Spirit is more important than other members of the Trinity, but the Holy Spirit is God present right now in our lives. To grieve Him is very face to face. You know, it's very, it's like looking God in the face and saying no. Um, so His presence is very precious because He is the seal, the mark, the foretaste, the assurance of what is to come. So this is, this is where we should have ended yesterday. This is all, Paul is this grand description of God's, of, of every spiritual blessing, every real blessing in the, in the heavenlies that's ours in Christ. Now, Paul wants us here to be, at the end of this, he's exuberant. It's like he can't help but say these things, but he wants us to be overawed. The whole thing is to whet your appetite. If it's to make you, if, well, the whole thing was to praise God, but it's to whet your appetite. After reading this, he wants us to say, yes, 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 that's what I want. Oh, how amazing, how wonderful, God, what God's provision. Yes, I want it. But you know what? Paul knows that we cannot grasp this on our own. It's not just a matter of examining words in the text and figuring out what they mean. We cannot grasp this on our own. We can only grasp it with the help of God. And so, just go out to somebody in the world who's spiritually dead and tell them Christ died for their sins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't mean anything until God is at work in their, in, in their hearts. And so the very next thing, Paul is, Paul is not going to go another step, but will we have a prayer for spiritual insight that we will be, that his hearers will be able to grasp the things of God. And that's, that's the second, um, second that's the, the, what was actually marked for today, beginning in, in uh, Ephesians 1, uh, running 15 through 23. And when we look at that, first of all, on, uh, you got the other two points on your outline, an inheritance and then our inclusion. That was four and five, verses 11 and 12 for inheritance and verses 13 and 14 for our inclusion. Now, we're going to then, he's going to pray that God will give us the spiritual insight that we need. Um, and so first we have in 15 and 16, uh, for whom Paul is praying. For whom does Paul pray? For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you. Make, I don't really like the translation while making mention of you in my prayers. The making mention is too weak. Remembering you in my prayers. This is not something Paul is sort of mentioning now and then. That's not the end part of it. He's, he is remembering them in his prayers. So, for whom is Paul praying? Well, the Ephesian believers... Now, he knew, he, knew, he knew many of them well, but if this letter was written to other cities as well, then there would have been people he didn't know. So he says, for this reason, because of all the privileges that are there in Christ, and, and because of what I've heard about you, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you. Faith in the Lord Jesus is something bigger than they are. It is a reality that's shared by the people of God in the church of God. Um, it, is, it is not merely something subjective among them, though it, though it becomes that. So he, having heard, Paul has heard of their strong belief, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ um, that's been given to them. They share in this faith, as do all other believers, all other followers of Christ. They have received this great treasure, and they are part of the community of those who have received it. Um, this faith then is evidenced as it is supposed to be in all of the believers of Christ. As, no, as it is in all, always in, in the love that they have for all the saints. They're genuine believers. They have, the, they have the common faith of the church and it's at work in their lives producing love for all the, all the believers. We have the first two, faith and love. What's the third one? Faith, love, hope. Hope's gonna come. It's, it's here a little bit later in, in, in the passage. It's, it's, it's on its way. And um, 
I would talk more about faith working by love, one of John Wesley's favorite phrases. I would talk more about that now, except that's going to be, when we hit chapter four, that's going to be, that's going to be a, a heavy subject, so I won't talk about him. But here, so he's praying. This is his pastoral prayer out of his concern for the people of God. If you're a pastor, you can feel the, part, the heart of Paul here. And if, even if you're a Christian, you probably can, and I'm assuming you, I'm not assuming you are, I'm assuming you are, but you can feel the, his, his concern. He's praying for them. To whom does he pray? Then in verse 17, that the, well, the God of, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Of course, Paul's praying to the God of the Old Testament. We've talked about that before. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that God must now be identified, as we have seen from all the thanksgivings, as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he has, done, he has brought about our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has revealed himself as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore also through Christ and our union with him as our Father. Um, so he is the one in whom God has brought this grand design, this many-splendored wisdoms plan of salvation to its fulfillment, the wonderful mystery of the ages. He is our Lord Jesus Christ. We can say those words so easily. Lord represents his sovereignty and his deity. He is Lord, identified with Yahweh, the Old Testament Lord, our sovereign Lord, Jesus. Oh, the precious name, Jesus. For it emphasizes his incarnation. Is becoming a human being. He was not Jesus until he was incarnate, at least from the point of view of time. But it emphasizes for us that he took on our broken humanity, suffered all that we suffer, and suffered for us going to the cross and was risen again. Christ reminds us that he is the one who fulfills all the promises of the Old Testament, the promised deliverer, the anointed one, the Messiah, and the one who is not only the eternal Son of God, but the one to whom God gives his Spirit without measure, the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. All of this is, 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 is reminded here. Uh, we remind, reminded this name. This, this is the one to whom Paul prays. So now we get to, the, to the, what we've been looking for in one sense. Oh, and he is our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just something he is out there with no relation to us. He is our Lord Jesus Christ as part of his people. Um, and this is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now, some translations translate it, and it's legitimate to translate it glorious Father. That's, that's what it could mean, and probably it does have that kind of meaning. He is the glorious Father. Glory is one of those wonderful terms that's hard to pin down. It's the revelation of God. Sometimes it's the very being of God. It's the majesty of God, the wonder of God, the greatness of God. He's the, he is, he is the, the most glorious Father, but He's also the Father of everything that is glorious. And the salvation that He has provided is glorious. And all that is ever considered glorious comes from them, the Father of glory. Now, what does Paul pray for them? That's what we want to get to. That he may give you what? A, a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole text. Um, I pray that, he will, that, the, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will... No. What is the hope of it? Number one, what is the hope of his calling? Number two, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Number three, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? I'll wait. The whole rest of the passage is a description of the greatness of that power to, to us who believe. So, um, here, is, here is the prayer for wisdom that you, God will give us, of course, it's the Holy Spirit, it's the spirit of, of wisdom and revelation, but a spirit of wisdom and revelation in, not in everything, but in the knowledge of Him. Revelation, of course, emphasizes the supernaturalness of this. 
I cannot attain this insight on my own. It's not contrary to human thinking. God is not going to tell me something contrary to what he's clearly said in his word. Okay. It's, it's not something esoteric, just separated from God's revelation in Christ at all. But it is a deep insight into it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a check on it. You can't just come and say, well, God told me this in a revelation, and that's so. And if it's contrary to the word of God, no, he didn't. I'm sorry. He didn't. And God never directs you to disobey. His, his, quiet, his clear... His, uh, his, his clear instructions for how, how we are to live. But it is an insight into the Word of God that only comes from the Holy Spirit. I, 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 this is kind of, there's, there's one young lady in our church, she's just graduated from the university. So she's teaching my Sunday school class one of the weeks I'm away. And I've said to Rosa, she teaches the Bible from the inside. Now, she's very thorough in her study. There's no slacking in the scholarly part of it. But there's a, there's a gift, there's an anointing of the Holy Spirit, there's something that, that the reality of it is there and comes, comes through. Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Wisdom is a bit different because, well, it's closely related, but wisdom is, well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and Christ is its culmination. But that's not original with me. I got that, I got that statement from a commentary. Uh, but... Um, I thought it was such a good statement, I should share it with you, but then I ought to tell you that I got it from somebody else. Um, um, but um, wisdom is how to apply what you know appropriately. When this is appropriate and when this is not appropriate. Wisdom is not something you can quantify. It's something that there's a natural wisdom learned from experience in the world and then, as, as Christians, there is the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives us, taken from our natural wisdom and developed. But the, only God can do this, so Paul prays that he would give him a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your heart might be opened. Oh, my goodness. Well, no, that the eyes of your heart, having been opened, is literally the way it is. Because it's only when the eyes of your heart that are, op are opened, of our, of our true essential being is opened, of, of who we are is opened, that we can grasp this truth. So then what does Paul want them to know, want them to grasp? What's the first thing? <laughs> that you might know the hope of his calling. Call, let's start with calling. Calling means God's initiative. God is the one who has called us in Christ Jesus to this life. We didn't start it. We didn't initiate it. We didn't go find him. No, he has called us. We've seen that he planned this from before the foundation of the world. He chose that we would be holy and blameless for love, established that we would be made his children, provided for us an inheritance, and he called us into it. You know, and God's calling is it of us to him. This is not calling specifically to ministry. This is calling to Christ. And in chapter 4, Paul is going to say, now walk worthy of your calling and tell you what that, what that means. But here it's God's initiative. What is the hope of, of what the, to which all of this that God has called you? First of all, I want to thank God for his calling. You know, sometimes people act like, well, this God's there. I can go to him anytime I want. No, you can't. I don't mean there's only one chance in your life, but you come to God when he reaches out to you. You know, when, when, a, when a guy proposes, if you say no, he may not ask again. Well, he probably will. I have, most of us would, because we're pretty persistent, you know. I have one friend that his wife didn't say yes until the third time he asked her, and then he didn't have the ring with him. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, he was, he, that's, how, that's how determined he was. He wasn't going to give up, you know, but... But, uh, and I don't mean God just leaves us. He comes after us. He pursues us. But I just want us to realize he's not just at our disposal. It's his gracious calling. What is the hope? Now we've come from faith and love to the hope of his calling. Now, I'm sure you're aware of this, but we've got to get the word hope clear in terms of its Christian context. It's not, when I, can, when I say I'm hoping to do such and such tomorrow, I don't know if I'm going to do it or not. I'm just telling you I want to do it. Okay. That's not this kind of hope. This is not something we hope that might happen and might not happen. 
The hope of his calling is certain and sure. It's what we expect. It's what we anticipate. It's what we long for. And it's what we keep our vision and our eyes upon. Faith and love, faith in Christ working itself out in love as we wait for the hope of his calling. Now this hope includes, of course, all the spiritual blessings we've talked about. It is that inheritance. It is the new heaven and the new earth. All of that is included, is involved in the hope of his calling. And the second statement really, see if I left out anything on that. The second statement really, um, oh, there's some things I, I, I did miss this. I need to go back to talking about the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I need, we need to make clear um, this is not anything that results in spiritual pride or uh, exaltation of self. This is not esoteric wisdom. This is not, oh, you know, I know how everything's, I know how all the eschatology is going to come out. God's shown me this is when he's going to come back and all that stuff. That's not what Paul's talking about here at all. Anything that becomes idiosyncratic, anything that exalts me, Anything that is not directly working, building up the body of Christ is, is false wisdom and revelation. It's not true wisdom and revelation. And so we have to be very, very careful. You should never, I, you should never, it's right to defend the truth. I do a lot of that in what I've done in my life. But you never should study the Bible simply to defend my own point of view. And I never should study the Bible simply, um, uh, certainly not so that uh, I'm in the know and other people are not. I've got this special knowledge from Scripture and, 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 and other people are not. Um, uh, or, or those, kind of, those are all false uses of Scripture. We study Scripture to know God. It's His Word. To worship and to serve Him. To obey Him and to edify the people of God. That Anything else is, mis, is misuse of, of, of the uh, Word of God. So I want to clarify that in terms of God's revelation of Himself. Um, and, and, and what, you know, what are the things that hinder our spiritual insight? I've gone back a minute because I thought I need... What, what kind of things hinder the, our, our, our eyes being open? Well, a lack of concern for the things of God, a desire for self-justification, that is a reluctance to admit our own sinfulness, our own needs. As long as we're doing that, we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're resisting the Spirit of God opening, opening our eyes and opening our hearts. Or, and this is what I'm preaching to myself, a, a, fo a critical focus on things that are wrong in the church. Are there things wrong in the church? You bet there are. And they're not limited to your denomination or to mine. Okay, I'm not throwing stones at anybody else's denomination. There are things that are wrong. But, and, and, and you need to admit them when they're there and to deal with them properly. But a focus on that, which I can be tempted to do, will sidetrack my focus on God. My wife, Rosa, didn't say anything, but in her heart she's saying amen because she knows I need to hear that word. So this is getting this true wisdom and revelation. Then, then the hope of his calling, we're back, back to that, faith and love and hope. Um, the second statement, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, expands the first one really. Um, the hope of his calling, it's the, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints for the saints that he has, that he has for us and in us as, a, as, as, as his people, as the body of Christ. Um, and of course, riches of the glory of, that stimulates our imagination. It's not too specific. But let me just say, say friends, the, the glory that Christ, that God has for us centering on our fellowship with him, on him dwelling among us in the new heaven and the new earth is far beyond anything that you can think of or imagine. It's not just a family reunion in the sky. 
And my mom and dad are both there. I'll be happy to see them. But it's not just a family reunion in the sky. It's not, oh, he's, he loved to fish. He's out fishing. He's out fishing in heaven with his favorite dog along with him. No, 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 no. You know what? All those things that we love in this earth, if we were left here forever with them alone, we would be profoundly dissatisfied because we were made for something much more. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is going to be, a, whatever else it can, is going to be living in the new heaven and the new earth with, the, with a fullness of God's presence that we cannot imagine. And yes, the fellowship with the people of God we know will be sweet, but it will be sweet because of who is at the center of it. We already taste that now. You know, your fellowship with the people of God down here is sweet because we're all, the, the Holy Spirit is in our hearts and in our lives. You've tasted how it will be a reality than the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who we believe? Now we're coming to the means by which all of this is possible. The exceeding greatness of his power in all of us who believe. And the rest of the passage describes it. Um, it is according to the, the working of the power of his might. Various ways I guess it's gotten here. Um, uh, the strength of his might. That, uh, that he brought about. This is God's power. The huge strength of his might. He brought it about. Where, when did he bring it about? Where do we see this power of God? By rate, when he raised or... That he, that he brought about, that he worked, that he affected, we could say, by raising him, that is Christ, from the dead, and by seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above every power and uh, every authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. Um, how great is the power that has worked in, within us? It's the power that overcame death in our Lord Jesus Christ, that took our sin and suffering to the cross and once for all carried it away and overcame the last enemy, death. My favorite part of a funeral service is the graveside. If you give me what, what if I'm only gonna have a part and you ask me what I want, it's give me the committal. Because I love to stand that, that I'm seen whole the death that God himself is, is grieved at, and to proclaim the words of the resurrection. Um, here, this is a power that has overcome all evil and sin and death Amen. in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, it's too easy to stop there. And by seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places, um, at God's own right hand, God, Jesus is not only risen from the dead, according to, in fulfillment of Psalm 110, um, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father as the exalted one, seating in theological terms, the exaltation, the resurrection, the exaltation, the session are related but different things. But the seating is, is important. He's not standing. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in the place of all authority in the universe. And you know what? That's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. He is now seated there. The risen and supreme Christ is a present reality. Through the Holy Spirit, he's present to you now. And as the book of Hebrews teaches us and Ephesians confirms, we have the privilege from him of entering in, of living in the heavenly places, in the very presence of God. He is a present reality. Stop and think about it often. The risen, exalted, seated Christ is present for me now. He is present to me. That can be a scary thing too, but he can also be a wonderful one. Far above now, it's easy for us to, to skim over authority and dominion, and every authority and uh, dominion and power and, and rulership and every name that is named. Paul is talking about, there's no need to try to separate, there was no way to separate each one as specifically different. 
he's using them comprehensively, but he's talking about the spiritual powers of evil. The devil, whatever you want to say, but the spiritual powers of evil, they are real in this world. And he, the Bible is so clear about this. Evil comes from without the human race, but we're still responsible for what we do. Both are there. It's bigger than we are. It grasps us. It has power over us. It binds us. But Christ has been seated at the right hand of and he is supreme over all of it. In this age and in the age to come when he's fully returned. And, and when, he, when it ends, it's with, and every name that can be named, it's like Paul is saying, and any other word you want to put here, anything else you can imagine, Jesus is supreme over it. He has put, God has put, according to the Psalm, God has put all things under his feet. Now, this is in agreement with the whole New Testament. What does Jesus say at the end of Matthew, at the beginning of the Great Commission? Um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Now, you say he's God from all eternity. Didn't he have all power? Well, in a sense, yes. But he's making a new statement here. This is the risen Christ to his death and resurrection and his impending exaltation here. All authority is his. That's the Christ we serve. This is the power that it is, work, is at work in us. Um, uh, and, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. That is, you know, that power is here for us. He's head over all things to the church. It's for, for our, not for us to just go do whatever we want. If you were in the morning prayer service, I thought what Paul said this morning was very good. It's the power for God to work within us, to do his work within us and in, in, in the people of God and in, in his kingdom. But he is head over all things for the church. And oh my goodness, the last phrase. I'm glad Paul didn't forget it. The church, what is the last phrase? Which is, which is his body. We are the actual, we have been joined to the one. We are part of the body. We have been joined in one body with him, with the one who fills all in all. And it is only in union with him that we have these blessings. You know that, don't you? Salvation is never something I possess. And I don't have a battery. I got to keep plugged in. I'm like an old computer. The battery's dead. An old laptop, and I got to keep it plugged in. It's got to be plugged into Jesus all the time. <laughs> um, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Let's, um, that power, all of you have seen that power at work. And it's far more than the power of personal transformation, but it is the power of personal transformation. I want to tell you just about one person in conclusion. His name was Dick Hill. His, his house was behind the parsonage, the church when I was growing up. Dick was a big old, tough ex-Marine. The community, the uh, the, the, the community had just been recently built. This was in about 1950. And um, they hadn't done a very good job. They, they hadn't, the, the, the development, they had not done a good job with the streets and the, and the, the sewerage and the, the, the county didn't want to take it over. And they hired, Dick worked for Coleman Company, but they hired him. The, the, the developer hired him to deal with complaints. Well, Dick had a praying mother down in Roanoke, Virginia. And there was one night when Dick Hill came to church and he just really prayed through. The next time my father saw, was in the office of the development people, the guy in there looked at him and said, what did you do to Dick Hill? Because God had so transformed his life. Now the transformation is far beyond that. But it is that. It is God's power 
to transform. Or I could tell you about Vernon McManame, who had the same, similar kind of experience. And he went to his boss. He, he fixed machines. He worked for a, 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 a company that fixed government machines. And his boss was always adding parts they didn't use on there to make extra money. Vernon went to him and said, I can't do that anymore. The guy says, you're fired. Vernon said, okay. The guy said, wait a minute. Doesn't always happen this way. Let's eat lunch. You're really serious. We decided to keep him because I think he figured if he was that honest, he could trust him. But anyway, God really changed people. They were willing to take a stand. Now it goes far beyond that. It is the new heaven and the new earth to come. But that is, that is a part of it. Before we go today, let's, uh, let's join in this prayer ourselves that God will give us as we go through the rest of Ephesians. And as we hear his word throughout this day, as you hear it in the service to come, that he will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that our eyes will be open. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We're overwhelmed with the marvelous glory, the many splendid wisdom of God and all of your provision for us. That it's just from your good pleasure from who you are. And it's for our good, and you've made us children and heirs. We are overwhelmed with all of this. Now, Lord, give us today and in these days this spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Open our hearts to hear your word and to, and to grow in it, to be obedient as we go through the rest of Ephesians. Open our hearts as we hear our brother John Juneman preach in the service, your word in the service to come. Lord, make us receptive to your truth, perceptive, that from the rest of this camp, most of us here have been walking with you for a long time, but we can grow in you, that through the rest of this camp, it might be a virtual feast in every service and of delight and of growing in you. We love you and we praise you today in Jesus' name, amen.